0: Uh, God bless not only America, God bless Kavanaugh Church and may God speak to our hearts today and challenge us. Uh, Every night a uh, minister would come home in time to... uh tuck his little girl in bed and tell her a a bedtime story. It's kind of a routine that they had. Uh, I don't know if she looked forward to it more than he did, but both of them enjoyed it so much. And one night he was tucking his little girl into bed, and he told her such a thrilling and exciting story that she sat straight up in bed and looked her dad in the eyes and asked, Daddy, is that a true story, or were you just preaching? Well, today I hope to do both, all right? Uh, I want to preach the truth to you today because we need to hear the truth. I, I'm in a series on uh, we believe. I think it's vitally important that we know what we believe, that, that we understand doctrine, that we know theology, because what we believe determines how we behave. And so we need to study these things of why we believe what we believe. Uh, We began this series weeks ago talking about what we believe about the Holy Scripture. We've talked about what we believe about God, about Jesus Christ, about the Holy Spirit. We've talked about what we believe about the devil... And last week we talked about what we believe about mankind, people, and the mess that we're in. Today I want to talk about what we believe concerning the church. This is the doctrine of ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. The word church literally means the called out assembly. As used in the New Testament, it refers to a body of believers who are called out from the world under the dominion and authority of Jesus Christ, and that's who we are. We are the called out ones. In scripture, the church is described in numerous ways. God uses several different word pictures to describe our form and our function. For example, we are called the body of Christ. That's who we are as a church. We are the body of Jesus Christ. We're also called the bride of Christ, Jesus being our bridegroom. We're also described as a temple or a house with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. And then, of course, we are described as a family. We know that because God is our heavenly Father and we have brothers and sisters in the church. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. He went on to say, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'm here to tell you, that's what God is still doing. He's still building His church. That process began in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the church was birthed. And it's still going on today because God is still building His church. Now, when I talk about the church, I'm really talking about two different things that are the same thing. Uh, The church is the local church Called out ones, the local church. We are Kavanaugh Free Will Baptist Church. We are the body of Christ. But there is another body of believers that's bigger than just Kavanaugh. They call that the universal church. That word universal has some negative connotation, so I just like to call it the big church. All right? It's the church that goes beyond countries and men's confinements as far as. uh, uh, uh religions or traditions or denominations are concerned. We're just the body of believers. We are the church that's going to be together in heaven. And there's going to be some of us there and some people from Harvest Time there and people from other different churches. We're the body of Christ. We're the big church. And Jesus is building His church. The big church is going to increase today. And I hope our church continues to increase as well. Uh, I'd like to direct you to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at the definition or the description of the body of believers, the church by Paul in Ephesians 2, draw a couple of of implications from that, and then look at some benefits that come along with church membership. So here we are, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Everybody okay? How about you people right over here in this section? You good? All right. That, that was, I'm going to let you do it again because that was weak. <laughs> you go. Now the balcony all together. Oh boy, y'all need help, I can tell you that. Here we are, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. Paul said, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. He's talking to Christians. You're, you're no longer strangers to God. You're no longer foreigners. You now belong. He says, but you're now fellow citizens with all the saints and members of the household of God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? We've got a family. That's really what he's saying. You're not a lone individual out there anymore. You're not a stranger or a pilgrim. You're a part of God's family. That's pretty cool. Verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, this church was established in 1963. It was established over off of Kavanaugh Road, and it was called Kavanaugh Free Will Baptist Church because of the community over there known as the Kavanaugh Community. So we can trace our roots back to 1963. But really, our roots go all the way back to the Apostles. Our roots go all the way back to Acts chapter 2. Why? Because we are just one stone in this building that God has been building. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Well, that's pretty cool. Verse 21, "...in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit." Again, we are a part of the building of God, and we're all important in God's building. Heavenly Father, would you please bless us today as we understand what the Bible says about the church and who we are as the church of the living God. Uh, Open our hearts up to the words of the Holy Spirit and challenge us to be everything you have called us to be, not only as individual believers, but also as the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now let me go back to Ephesians 2.19 and read that verse again out of the Living Bible. We've already talked about the church being the building of God and Jesus is the chief cornerstone, but look at this other application of who we are. In verse 19, Paul says, you are members of God's very own family and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. I underlined a few of those words that are important to me. The first one is members. You are a member of something that is big. Okay, And what is it we are members of? God's very own family. Well, that's just too awesome, man. I am a part of the family of God. And as a believer, you are too. We are in God's household. We're in God's house. But look who we're in God's house with. Every other Christian... We're all together. Why? Because we're a family. Now, two things I want to point out from this verse about the church. Number one, the church is a family. Okay, the church is not a building. We have a, a physical location, twenty-eight, twenty-five, Grinnell. but that's not who we are. We are not this building. We're not a cl- we're not a country club. Thank God for that. Huh? We're not an organization, nor are we an institution. Nor are we a religion. We are a family. Specifically God's family. Christianity means not only relating to God, but it also means relating to other people who are all also believers in the family. You become a part of a family. And God says that the Christian life can only be fleshed out or lived out in relationship with other believers. You see, the Christian without a church is, a church family is, is like an orphan without a family. Honestly. The Bible says that the church is God's family. And every Christian needs a believing family to be plugged into and to be associated with. You need a church home. You, God made you that way. And that's what the local church is for. For you to plug into and be a part of. You know, you know, I hear arguments people make all the time about why they don't go to church and why they aren't a member of a church. The one number one thing I hear is, I just, I'm just sick and tired of all the fussing and feuding and fighting. I was in a church 32 years ago, and all they did was fight all the time. Well, can I tell you, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And I am so sorry you were a part of a church that did that. Because that's not what the church is to be about. I've got a I got a thought on that. Can I, can I share my thought with you? I moved away from the little pulpit to share my thought with you. I, I, believe, I believe it's just like in, in any family. There are some families that are dysfunctional. Maybe you are from a dysfunctional family, but they're out there. They exist. There's dysfunctional. The, their family unit is not functioning the way it's supposed to function. Did you know there are two institutions that God established? One is the family. Years ago, I would not have had to say this, but here is God's definition of family. It is one man, one woman brought together in holy unity to have children to be a family unit. And whether whether you like this or not, this is the way God set this deal up, man. The husband is the head of the family. The wife was made to be his help meet. The two bring each other to completion. The children are there to obey their parents. Now, the world doesn't like that. And maybe you don't like it, but you know what? I don't care if you like it. It's just the way God made it. And you're going to have a dysfunctional family when the dad is not man enough to be the dad. Should I go on? <laughs> oh, I'm afraid to now. I won't talk about the lady, but I will talk about the kids. When parents allow the kids to rule the roost, you know what? It's dysfunctional. And here's what happens in churches. Sometimes you take your dysfunctional family that you've been a part of, and that's all you've known, and you bring it into the house of God, and now you have a dysfunctional family messing up the family of God. Can I tell you something? There is order to God's house. God is a God of order. And he has order in his house. The pastor is not to be a dictator, but I mean the pastor is the spiritual leader of the congregation. And any time you have a member who usurps the authority of the pastor, you're going to have a dysfunctional church. Boy, I feel better having said that. And I'm so sorry some of you have been a part of not only a dysfunctional family, you've been a part of a dysfunctional church. That's horrible. That's not what the church is supposed to be. A church is supposed to be a family where everyone knows their duty in a family and everyone is participating and loving. The leaders lead, the members love, and we work together in unity. Second thing I noticed from this passage is this. A Christian isn't just a believer, but he is a belonger. I, I made that word up. I don't think that word... It didn't pass my spell check on my word. But it makes sense to me. A Christian isn't just a believer, but he is a belonger. Belonging shows I am a believer. Let me couple Romans twelve five with what we read in Ephesians two nineteen. Paul said, In Christ, we who are many form one body... And each member belongs to all the others. Couple that with what we just read. You belong in God's household, Ephesians 2.19 says, with every other Christian. You see, in the New Testament church, there was no such thing as a Christian who did not have a church home. There were no floating Christians out there. Back in the New Testament, they were not saying, well, let's go to the church at Philippi today. Next week, we'll go down to the road to the church at Corinth, and in a month, we'll end up at the church at Rome. There was no such thing as a Christian without a church family. You know what? That is true everywhere in the world today except in America. Only in America do we have Lone Ranger Christians. People who say, I'm a Christian, but I don't need anybody else. Well, who in the world are you fooling? You do need somebody else. You need a family. A family to worship with, a family to be involved with, a family to support you. And the Bible teaches that we are members and we all belong to the body of Christ. God made us to to have this deep sense of belonging. And I believe that as our society continues to fragment more and more, we need to be able to come to a place like Kavanaugh Church and say, this is my home. This is where I am connected. This is where I'm plugged in. This is where I belong. Notice both of these verses talk about being a member. That is a biblical term. Membership in a church is a biblical concept. But it doesn't mean the same in the New Testament as it means in our world today. In society today, membership really means absolutely nothing. It means your name is on a roll or you pay a membership fee. But biblically, when you become a member of God's church, it means that you get plugged into that church. That you become actively involved. You're more than just a spectator. You're a participator. You're not just a consumer. You're a contributor. You're not just along for the ride. You're a part of the crew. (laughs) Woo! I'm applauding myself because that's good. And that's what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. And you need a church. Let me tell you. I'm just talking to you today. You need a church. If you don't have a church home, you need to find a church home to get plugged into. Now, I'm going to continue on with four benefits of belonging. Four benefits that come with being a church member. Real quick, number one, being a church member helps me to stay spiritually motivated. It does. I get motivated when I come in here. I get motivated when when I come back in here. Worship styles are totally different. I get jacked up at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning in the worship service we're in there. That's what worship does. It motivates me. And we've got a pretty awesome worship team here, don't we? I mean, they motivate us to love God and to, to get plugged in. Jason mentioned the, uh, the Greenwood Bulldog football team. Uh, we've got four young men who are part of that uh, team who are members of our church, and they've, they've done some pretty incredible things this year. They, they are 10-0. and 0. They, they uh, won their last game this past week to put them 10-0. and 0. They're now conference champions. They have a bye the first week of playoffs. And these boys, they have their eye on December 3rd at War Memorial Stadium in Little they, they They want state championship. Their theme this year is finish. They're going to finish, man. I get jacked up talking about it. man. <laughs> I get pretty pumped up as a dad. I've, I've been around this organization a long time. And the, the football program in Greenwood is just, it's, it, it is beyond words. It is absolutely amazing. Coach Rick Jones and his staff, they are masters of motivation. I mean, really. They motivate these boys. Every day they motivate these boys to be better than they were the day before. They pump them up. I've I've spoken to some of their their rallies and meetings. Man, they they get these boys. Friday night I was watching the game and listening to Tim Terry on the radio, and he says, I can't believe these guys are fired up. They're mean out there. They're hungry. And I mean it's obvious. I'm I'm wishing I could get Coach Jones in here a couple of weeks and motivate you. (laughs) You know what? I'm trying to say this. Listen to what I'm trying to say. There is only one place in the whole world that we can get motivated to live the Christian life like God intends for us to live against the enemies that prevail against us out in the world. And that is in this place. We can only get that in corporate worship. You might say, oh, preacher, I can can worship the Lord in my living room watching a service on TV. You can to a certain extent, but you can't get in your living room what you get in here. Well, I can worship God and praise God driving down the road listening to Christian music on my CD. Yeah, you can to a certain degree, but there is a dynamic of spiritual worship that you can only get through corporate worship when God's people come together focusing on God and worshiping and praising Him. And you can only get that in a local church. And let me tell you something, you need that. One of my chief jobs is to encourage you to get that. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another. And so I'm encouraging you. You need to be here multiple times during the week. Because when you're here, you get encouraged. You are spiritually motivated in God's house. And we all need encouragement. It's like that old illustration that says you can take a coal of fire from the campfire and put it to the side and what happens to it? Well, it gets cold. The fire goes out of it. But you take that same coal that is now cool and you put it back into the fire and it warms up again. It gets hot again. And the church is the place you come to get warmed up. You're out in the world all week And you're getting beat up, and you're getting blasted, and you're getting nailed to the wall. I see you come in here sometimes on Sunday mornings. It looks like you've been in a fight, and you lost, and you're moping around. And then you listen to the praise team, lead us in worship. You begin to participate in worship yourself. You hear the Word of God. The Holy Spirit works in your life, and you're ready to go back out into the world and take the world on. That's what a good church will do for you. Did you hear me? That's what a good church will do for you. It will spiritually motivate you. We need that. The Bible says this, that we as family members in God's church, we are to have fellowship with one another. We are to greet one another. One translation says greet one another with a holy kiss. Be careful about that, all right? (laughs) Miss Bertha used to love to do that. She would... I can't wait to get to heaven and get another one of Miss Bertha's holy kisses that she gives. We are to love one another, accept one another, be devoted to one another, be kind and compassionate towards each other. Why? Because we're a family. Some of you don't have physical family members living in this area. Well, you know what? That's what a good church will do for you. It becomes your family. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We take care of our own because we love each other. Second benefit, it helps me develop spiritual maturity. Doctrinally, what I'm talking about here is sanctification, specifically progressive sanctification, which means that every day I grow up in Jesus. Every day I become more like Jesus. Every day I develop spiritual maturity. And you know what? As a Christian, that's what God is looking for in your life. Spiritual maturity. Hebrews 6.1, let us go on to maturity. Get off of the milk of the Word. Don't be babies in Christ anymore. Take a hold of the meat of the Word and grow up in Jesus. That's your job, to grow up. You do that on your own every day by reading God's Word and praying. But you know what? You need to also come into God's house because we help you in your spiritual maturity we give you guideposts there are certain things that you can only do in church to develop spiritual maturity and that's what a good church does number three being a church member helps me discover my ministry and the word that i have to describe this the theological word is edification i'll talk about that in a moment you see all of us have this deep need to feel like our lives count that we are making a significant contribution in life, that our life is worthwhile, that we're not just on this planet sucking up air and taking up space. All of us has this deep inner need that says, does my life really matter? Am I making a contribution? Am I giving back in some way? And if you don't have that, you'll never have peace in your life. You'll be unfulfilled if you don't have that. The Bible says that the way you find that fulfillment is to be the person God made you to be and do what God made you to do. Now, we call that ministry. You find your ministry, your niche, and then you do it. But that ministry is not just for you. It's not for self-glorification. You are to use your ministry for edification, You are to use that ministry to edify the body of believers, to help other people out. Let me be specific. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you know that before you were born, I believe before you were even conceived, God decided what spiritual gifts you would receive when you accepted Jesus as your Savior, God knew what abilities you would have, what talents you would be given, what skills you would be able to acquire. He decided all of that in advance, and he gave you all of these things for a reason. So God has given each of you these abilities, these talents. You know what? You need to be sure you're using them for him. Life is not just about going out and making a million bucks and retiring. No, you are here for something bigger than that. God put you here and in this church to use all of the stuff He's given you for the edification of the body of Christ. God has called you to specific tasks. The good works you are to do are called your ministry. And when you help other people, whether they be in this church or whether they be outside this church, you are ministering. And every member needs to be a minister. 1 Corinthians 12, 5 and 27 out of the Living Bible says, There are different kinds of service, and together you form the body of Christ. And each one of you is a necessary part of it. Now did you hear that? God says you've all been given a specific job to do and you are a necessary part of the body of Christ. Have you ever seen a jigsaw puzzle? Maybe one of those 2,500 or five, let's say it's a 5,000 piece jigsaw puzzle. It's huge. But there's one piece missing right in the middle. And so you can't see the big picture of what this jigsaw puzzle is about because you're focused on that one missing piece there is a hole in the middle of the picture. The Bible says that we're all a part of the body of Christ and when there is a piece missing, when you're not doing your job, it's like there's this big empty hole. He goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to talk about the the body as the church and each body member, every member of our body, of our physical body is important. So what if what if one day your body inside of your body your liver protested and said I'm going on strike I mean I can't see my liver but it's in there and I know it's working because I'm functioning normally but what if one day my liver said I'm going on strike or what if your liver said you know what I've decided I don't need This body. I'm just going to jump around from one body to another body. I'm going to be in this guy's body for one week and then I'm going to hop over to this other body. I'm going to be a free-floating liver. (laughs) Or get this, I'm going to go body shopping. (laughs) Or how about this, how about if your liver said, you know what, I guess I'll stay in this one body, but I'm just not going to participate. I'm just going to sit right here where I am, and I'm going to watch all the other body parts do their job. But I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to watch. Lord help you if your liver decided to do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Every part of the human body is necessary. And if you're not using your ministry, you're not only hurting yourself, guess what? You're hurting this whole church. You're cheating other Christians. It says every part is important. So a non-serving Christian is a contradiction to the Bible. There is no basis in the Bible for spectatorship. That's the difference between a member and an attender. A member is a participator. An attender is a spectator. A member is a contributor. An attender is a consumer. An attender says, I'm just along for the ride. But a member says, I'm a part of the crew. <laughs> Woo, and everybody's blessed when you do what God's called you to do. A good church, number one, will help me stay spiritually motivated. Number two, it will help me develop spiritual maturity. Number three, it will help me discover my ministry. But then number four, it helps me, it helps me to fulfill my mission in life which, again, is the biblical or doctrinal word evangelism. You see, everybody needs a cause to live for. Again, everybody needs a purpose that is greater than themselves. You were made to live for more than just for you. Everybody needs a cause that is bigger than them, and if they don't have that, they're going to search for something. They're going to try to find something. I know people who, you know, and I'm a sports fan, but I know some people whose who their whole purpose in life is just sports. They're totally consumed with that. It's their purpose for living. I know other people whose purpose for living is shopping. I guess that's okay as long as you got to, you know. I, I read about this group in England that they formed this animal liberation group, and, and they say... That the duty of mankind is to put clothing on all domesticated dogs and cats. That's their purpose in life. You see, here's my point. If you miss out on God's purpose, you've got to have a purpose so you're going to make something up. But the moment you become a Christian, you are given a mission in life. And if you are a Christian, you are responsible for what the Bible calls the Great Commission. These are the last words Jesus spoke before he went back into heaven. He said, go into all the world and preach the good news of the gospel. Make disciples. That's our mission. One day you're going to get to heaven if you're a believer and God's going to say, what did you do about the mission? Well, Lord, I went to church here, but What'd you do about the mission? Well, I attended. What'd you do about the mission? Did you do what I called you to do? Paul understood this. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, into the verse, he said, I am to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He said, This is my number one purpose in life to preach the good news of the gospel, to tell as many people as I can that Jesus loves them and that he can save them. You know what guys, that's our divine assignment. Have you ever wondered why we're still here as believers? I mean, think about this. I think about this all the time. Why didn't God just zap me and send me to heaven as soon as I accepted Jesus and became a believer? Wouldn't that wouldn't that have been the cool thing? I mean, if, I, if I'm zapped out of here, look at all the problems I leave behind. Look at all the frustrations I leave behind. All the broken hearts that I've had and the disappointments and all this evil that is around me. What, what if God would have just taken me to heaven instead of leaving me here on this earth? What, why did he? Unfinished business. Got to thinking about that. Really, when you, when you, this my thinking. I know I think weird. In my thinking, there's only two things that I can't do in heaven. Everything else we do, I can can do in heaven. I can pray in heaven. I can sing in heaven. I can praise the Lord in heaven. I can read my Bible in heaven. I can have fellowship with other Christians in heaven. But there's two things I can't do in heaven. I can't sin in heaven because no sin is allowed. And number two, I can't tell any nonbelievers about Jesus in heaven because everybody there is a Christian. So which of those two things do you think God is wanting us to do while we're still on earth? It's not the first one, you know. What are you still here for? Well, you got a mission. It's your mission in life. It's evangelism. Second Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ. So if you're a believer, you represent Jesus Christ at work, at school, in your neighborhood. And one of the purposes of Kavanaugh Church is to help you in your mission by training you and giving you the resources you need and having services like this that you can bring your unsafe friends to and doing things like adopt a family where we reach out in our community and win people to Christ. You know, I'm thankful for my church. It really is an awesome place. Kavanaugh Church is here to help you stay spiritually motivated. We exist to help you develop spiritual maturity and grow up in Christ. We're here to help you discover your own ministry, and we are here to help you fulfill your mission in life. Now I said all that to tell you this. The church is not a business. No, we are a body. We're not an organization. We are a living organism. Can I tell you what we are? We're a family. Amen. At Kavanaugh Church, we are family. Families operate on relationships. So you need to find a family that you can be a part of. You need to find a church family and you need to get plugged into it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, I want to be a part of something God is doing. And God's building His church. So I need to find me a church, and I need to get plugged in. And I need to be a part of that church. I I want to be real with you. Okay, Will's going to tell you the truth right now. I've chosen this place as my church. This is the place I've chosen to get plugged into. I say to people all the time, even if I were not the pastor of Kavanaugh Church, I would be a church member at Kavanaugh Church. I think this is the greatest place in the world. Some of you feel the same way. But you know what? If you don't, if you don't feel that way, you need to find a place where you can feel that way. Because you need a church family. You need a place to belong. If it's Kavanaugh, that's awesome. But if it's not, you know what? That's okay too, as long as you find a place. I was floating in the Gulf of Mexico one day. I was thinking of a a slogan for our church that represented who we are. And it just came to me. Kavanaugh your church for life. From the cradle to the grave, that's the kind of church we want to be. Your church for life. I hope you feel that way as well. I've been here 19 years. We came here on August 15th, 1997. It's kind of a different church back then than it is today. That's okay because we're a living organism. Things just change. During that first year I was here, some stuff happened, and I, you know I'm not going to get into it, but I, I'll, just, I'll just say it like this. There were some people who left the church. Sometimes people don't like the new pastor. <laughs> Angie laughs at that, you know. I, I found it hard to believe that people wouldn't like me. I, I guess they didn't like Miss Angie. I don't know. <laughs> Some other things were going on, and, and, and we, had a, we had a lot of people that left. And I was worried about it. <laughs> it was worrying me. I was thinking, Lord have mercy, God, why'd you call me here? And this is going to turn into a ghost town, you know? I don't know if everybody in here knows the name Bob Butler. Some of you new people may not know Bob. He, he's been dead for several years now, but Mr. Bob was Kavanaugh Church for a long time. Him and his family became a part of this church in the early 60s. For 30 years, Bob was the chairman of our church board. Uh, He was the guy that hired me. And he was my friend. Anytime I had a problem or a worry, I'd go down to Greenwood and I'd just sit down with Bob and Joanne. And man, they'd straighten me out. And Gary, they'd do it in a loving way. You know, they treated me like their son. The day Bob died, I I think I cried more than than anybody in the family because I I was losing more than just a church member. I was losing my friend and my biggest supporter. But during that time when people were leaving, on a Sunday night before service, Bob came into my office. And my office used to be right through this door in that corner room right back there. And I was worried, man. I was bummed out. He could tell. He, just, he knew. That I was really concerned about this. We talked about these people that left and other people that we heard were going to leave. And Bob said, Preach! That's what he called. Preach! And he talked real loud because he couldn't hear. He, let me, can I tell you something? Bob could hear anything he wanted to hear. He <laughs> said, Preach! I don't know what's going to happen. We may end up losing everybody. He said, Preach, it may just come down to me and you. But I'm not going anywhere, he said. Because this is my church. (laughs) Thank you, Bob. Thank you for saying that, because I can't tell you the number of times during these last 19 years that that has spoken to my heart and challenged me and helped me. To know that there are people like Bob Butler still in this church today. It doesn't matter if it's going great or if it's going bad. If we're on the mountaintop or down in the valley, you're not going anywhere. Because this is your church. It's my church for life. I want you to feel that way about Kavanaugh. But real frankly, if you can't feel that way, maybe you need to find a place where you can, because you need that in your life as well. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do something right now in this church that we need done here. Lord, if there's someone who is lost, may they be saved. If there's Families that are dysfunctional, that need to come back under your authority, may they do that. But dear Lord, do something for our church family. Spark a revival inside of us. Help, help us to love you and to love each other and to want to be a part of something bigger than us and to do our part. Lord, thank you for Kavanaugh Church. Thank you for my, my brothers and sisters that make this church what it is. And I pray for them today. Help us c- to come this morning and pray for each other. And pray that we do your, God, your will in this world. I love you, Jesus. Speak to hearts as only you can. In your name we pray. Would you stand up? Altars are open. I invite you to come and pray. Whatever you need to pray about, come on right now. As Jesus speaks to you.